and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hoger. I actually, I've been, I'm going to bring this up right at the top of the episode because you can probably hear that my voice is a little raspy. Uh, it's A, a nighttime recording, and B, the day after we've recorded our Twilight Princess bonus episode. Uh, That's which right. Was I know the conversation between us was about five hours in length, I think, but I, I the edit definitely won't be anywhere close to that. But uh, been a lot of talking. Been a lot of talking this weekend. So uh, <laughs> yeah. bear, bear with me sounding a little gravelly, dear listener. Yeah. Yesterday we recorded, like we started in the morning and then wrapped up like in the late afternoon. And then right after that, like 45 minutes later, I had a D&D game with some friends. <laughs> and then after that, one of those friends is like, do you want to like hang out and play Baldur's Gate 3? And I'm like, I, I need to actually say nothing for like four hours. Yeah. And just like stare at a wall and think nothing yeah. as well. So you bailed on Baldur's Gate 3. Is that the first time you've done that? <laughs> Actually, yes. I don't think I've ever said no to Baldur's Gate 3 until then. <laughs> I thought you were just going to be like, let my character speak for me. Like, I, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. But What's funny is if you load up how multiplayer works, one person owns the save. Yeah. So you can actually like, like I own the save in this case. If I load up the campaign, my friend's characters are also there. But they, if I talk to those characters, the narrator goes like, a once familiar ally is not quite there. And they're like staring off into space. Mm. So they kind of like diegetically write in that like, they are, you know, not present in spirit. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, yeah. So anyway, Twilight Princess, we recorded that yesterday. Uh, that will at the time of this recording, that will be out hopefully this week. By the end of this week, uh, that episode should hit your RSS feed, uh, which is exciting. I'm really excited to release that episode. That game is really good, everybody. If you haven't played it, you should <laughs> play it. And if you think it's bad, you should replay it. Anyway. And you don't need to listen to the episode anymore. That was it. Actually. <laughs> That's actually, yeah, we just say that really slowed down. <laughs> so it sounds like ocean waves and whales speaking, which is fitting for our brand. Yeah. So today, Brendan, we have two games, another duology yeah. for the listener. It's ironic that last week's episode was called Hunk Punk, because I actually think it would make more sense for these two games yeah we needed to will it into existence <laughs> and establish it what you Before. didn't know dear listener was that was all set up for this week <laughs> exactly i've been playing a lot of tekken 8 which came out i think two days ago yeah and we're also going to talk about later in this episode like a dragon infinite wealth which I'm still very early on in, but you... I'm very far in that game, yeah. Uh, two eights, though. Two eights, exactly, yes. Have you played Tekken 8 at all? Uh, were you going to surprise me with that, or is it no, only me? No, no, I'm I not. I bring that up because I feel like... I know you're always all ears, but I feel like when I come to the show with a fighting game, it's the closest we get to you having that's nice, honey energy. Yeah, it's like when I used to bring Destiny 2 to the show. <laughs> Yeah. And then I suddenly feel like a dad listening to his child, like knowing nothing about video games. Like, uh-huh, that sounds fun. I, th I think just like there is definitely an interest level in my head in terms of like this renaissance of fighting games. And I think a lot of these companies that have all this like legacy IP in fighting games, like figuring it out all at the same time is really exciting. Yeah. And I played a bunch of Street Fighter 6 and that game was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I really enjoyed it a lot. But weirdly, and I'm excited to hear you talk about it. It, but like Tekken is maybe the only fighting game outside of Soul Calibur that I have like a connection to it all. Like I, cool. I played a bunch of Tekken on the PS2 back in the day. Uh, I didn't have it myself, but like a bunch of my friends had it. So I would play. 
play it the same way I was playing Super Smash Brothers. It would be like, hey, do you want to come over and play a bunch of tech? And then we did. And uh, I've been looking forward to this release just to see if it was good. And it was wild the day that the reviews for this and Like a Dragon 8 came out at the same time. And it was like, both might be the best in their respective franchises. Because that's a lot to take in, especially in January. <laughs> yeah, that's that. I was going to say, we're like not done with the first month we we said in our our game of the year episode foolishly like 2024 is going to be a slow year which i think it still might be in terms of like new big releases but yeah. we're less than a month in and every new release i've played i've already put on my like ever growing you know goatee contender list yeah same like prince of persia like a dragon eight and tekken eight all being amazing right away it's just like wild how stacked already january is which yeah. usually is not the case which is it's funny to compare my goatee 2024 contenders list which is like just for me at the moment is two amazing video games that like each could be number one if i thought about them hard enough and then you look at my letterboxed best of 2024 list and it's just david ayer's jason statham project the beekeeper <laughs> which is like what if john wick didn't have any panache at all wow. <laughs> Uh, it's really interesting. I, and I think, I think it just lends even more credence to our theory that 2024's big Q1 is just spillover from 2023, which couldn't contain all the hits. Yeah. But I mean, even like what's planned for February, it just feels like this year is going to have a lot of big games for us, at least in the first few months, like, uh, Dragon's Dogma 2 being in March, Persona 3 Reload and Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth in February. Yeah. Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth coming out on Leap Day feels important for reasons I can't put words. Yeah, we'll to. know when we roll credits. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I wonder if Nomura actually told Square, like, this is going to come out on Leap Day. Yeah. You'll have to wait until, you know, we get one. Yeah. Se- Sephiroth's going to turn to camera and be like, aren't you glad this Leap Day? And we're going to be like, <laughs> what? <laughs> It's not anymore. <laughs> I've been playing this game for 48 straight hours, Sephiroth. Um, I do think one last note here. I do think that we could probably record Goaty in April if we wanted to. <laughs> Unless something really great comes out on the Switch, too. But, you know, that's who knows? true. We'll be busy with GameCube, though, in the, in the latter that's half true. of the year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tekken. I'm happy to hear Tekken has been like the other fighting game for you. I don't want to obviously force you to love fighting games. We all have our genres. We connect to more than others. I, I do feel like the Dreamcast episode was maybe the litmus test yeah. of that where it was like here's like eight all-timers yeah you know if, if you walk away from that still kind of feeling the same way it's probably not for you and that's totally fine yeah it was appreciate over love definitely yeah and i i have that i mean i have that for a lot of shooters like i feel like i yeah. like titanfall 2 definitely resonated with me and i love splatoon but I usually don't gravitate towards FPS for whatever reason. Yeah. Do we all have different tastes and different likes and dislikes? <laughs> you got nothing for that? <laughs> no, I actually, no, I, I, I'm sorry. I was just distracted because you just reminded me when you said shooters that Indiana Jones comes out at the end of the year. And that is actually... <laughs> so we, have to, we actually do have to record Goaty in December after all. Sorry, everybody who was excited about an April Goaty. It would be airy season, my birthday. That'd be very <laughs> egocentric of me to be like Steven of the year. Um, Tell me about King. How's King doing? King's doing great. So yeah, Tekken for me is interesting because Tekken 3, I believe, was my first fighting game or at least the first fighting game that like I got really into as a kid. Mm. I liked it so much that I bought Tekken 2 
because I just wanted another one. And that like rather than <laughs> waiting for the new one, I'm like, well, I can just get the other one that exists. That's awesome. And like, I remember playing Tekken 1. And Tekken 1 is like very, even at, even in the late 90s, Tekken 1 like showed its age. Like mm. It's very like when you jump, you go like real high up. It feels like very early 3D physics. Yeah. But Tekken 2 is still awesome. Like Tekken 2 was great. And Tekken 3, when I think of like the fighting game arcade aesthetic and music that i like i feel like the gold standard for just that spirit is tekken 3 and third strike Mm. both threes in their respective series like those two games something about the look and feel of them like i just love it maybe i just have a reverence for that specific like late 90s early 2000s like game aesthetic and fashion and music but like yeah when i think of tekken i think of tekken 3 and so that was a big game for me as a kid and that was also one of the few games that my dad and i played together because Mm. my parents are divorced and growing up like we would alternate you know weekends and such and at my mom's house we had nintendo and like my mom really liked games and we played a lot together and i think a lot of nintendo games are sort of made with family in mind yeah PlayStation, not quite as much. A lot of it's more single player. There's also only two controllers, but the two games that my dad and I played a lot together were, I would make him watch me play Final Fantasy VII as a kid (laughs) even. I haven't changed very much. But we also played like co-op Resident Evil 2, which didn't really exist, but we would just like help each other out as we played. Yeah. But the big one that like stuck around for years was Tekken 3. Mm. Like up to even the early part of high school, you know, I think Tekken 3 was 98. So like from third grade to high school, my dad and I would play eight versus eight all random team battle. Uh, And it like it was just our game. It was the beginning of me really cementing the idea that fighting games were social. Mm. And I think, you know, you and our friends give me shit for uh, when we play Smash Brothers. I'll just like chat about whatever and like inadvertently distract my opponent and then win. Yeah, I, I promise that's not my conscious intention, but that's just what I have ingrained in me because of those formative years of Tekken 3. That like, I'm the same way with Mario Kart also. Yeah. Mario right. Kart 8 Which, Deluxe specifically. Yeah. <laughs> when we played, the game cruelly reminded us that like you've beaten me like 700 times or something. <laughs> yeah. When our Miis were waiting in space, it was like, by the way, Steven's a clown. Do you want to like connect to the internet and actually have a real challenge? It, I, it is nice to know that I have a chance at one of these games every once in a while if you kick my ass in enough games i could be like can we just turn on mario kart for like a couple races i'm always down to balance to get it out. second yeah tekken <laughs> was sort of my formative fighting game experience and then you know growing up obviously smash brothers became mm. very social and also soul caliber 2 which yeah. i cannot wait to revisit for gamecube because yeah. links in that game teen link that game's a phenomenon yeah. It's one of the rare instances where Link is like, it's like Twilight Princess and Soul Calibur 2 are the two like teenage Links, <laughs> I feel. Yeah, until you get to Breath of the Wild, yeah. That's true, yeah, that's true. But what's weird about Tekken is that even though it was this formative experience for me, I haven't really played any since three was the last one that like really clicked like Mm. i really liked tekken tag tournament and i remember borrowing tekken 5 from a friend and then inadvertently stealing it by keeping it forever classic Um, yeah classic move and i liked tekken 5 a lot but the series i don't know what it was but i just kind of lost interest in it and i wonder if that's just because like fighting games in general kind of went out for a while Mm. especially 3d fighting games like really only Tekken survived that transition because I feel like there was you know this golden age of fighting games in the late 90s early 2000s and then it kind of went away for a while largely speaking 
And it really wasn't until, at least in my experience, Street Fighter 4 came out in 2010 or maybe a little earlier, 2008 maybe, that like all of a sudden, like my friends were playing fighting games again. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I was in college, that came back in a big way. And then there was sort of another drought. And now I think in a post Dragon Ball Fighter Z world with a Guilty Gear and now Street Fighter 6 and now Tekken 8, it feels like we're back again, which is really exciting. And I haven't played like the last Tekken game I played was Tekken Tag 2, which I really liked. But again, I just I I didn't have it wasn't my go to fighting game. Mm. And it had been so long and Tekken had become like calculus in the interim between it being my go to game. and, And now, because I think one of the reasons possibly that 3d fighting games kind of went away it's interesting to to think back to our dreamcast episode because like when soul Calibur one comes out that is a system seller game and it's it's coming with this idea that like 3d is new and 3d fighting games are the future right which is like a it's sort of like going all in on blimps you know in (laughs) retrospect but like when you play Soul Calibur 1 and Soul Calibur 2, like it does feel like this should have been the future. Like yeah. this was the future in this year it came out. When when we had that party and you had the Dreamcast out just kind of as an experiment. Yeah. Like people had sort of a passing interest in it, but when we put on Soul Calibur 1, like everyone was glued to the TV. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. It, it's just amazing how much power that game still has where it's like it's a it's a relic at this point but it still like calls attention to itself in a group of people that didn't ask for the dreamcast to be put on yeah i think for me i i just i remember soul caliber 2 coming out and being a huge deal like i remember getting a copy of it for myself on the ps2 which i think says a lot and everyone i knew had it because again it was like multi-platform so you would have your you know special character depending on which of the platforms you bought it on uh, and it was huge. And I, I just remember thinking when Soul Calibur three was coming out and nobody was talking about it, being like, what happened here? Like, yeah, Soul Calibur two is, I think, everyone's favorite fighting game, except for maybe Melee at the time. Yeah. What happened here? And similarly, like Tekken just, I mean, completely fell out of my consciousness. I The one that I played the most was Tekken Tag Tournament on the PS2. Um, awesome game. Which yeah. I really think at a certain point, all of that excitement for that game just fueled the fires of Soul Calibur 2 and Super Smash Bros. Melee at a certain point. And and then I just forgot about Tekken, honestly, really, until this one came out this year. Yeah, I feel like Tekken, I mean, Tekken's remained huge, but like for people that have been in the fighting game community for that whole time. Yeah. Which I think has kind of created this this barrier to Tekken. Like in the Discord, we have a fighting game channel that's awesome. Everyone there is like super supportive. Everyone there is really good. Like yeah. I got humbled very quickly when I came back to street fighter six and just got destroyed and everyone was like really nice about it but i'm like i have been eclipsed this is amazing yeah and that group of people are like scared to start tekken it's sort of like starcraft i think where when starcraft 2 comes out you have maybe six months to enjoy playing that game online unless Mm -hmm. you are an esports person right i want to tell anyone to play whatever game they want but like you will just not have fun if you just like join a random match of starcraft online yeah that's me with i always say this on the show i always want like the first person shooter multiplayer game that i can like turn my brain off and just like play solo while listening to a podcast or something and the the unfortunate truth of that desire is that i just need to play them as soon as they come out 
for a couple months, lest I get sucked into just losing over and over and over again by the people who are way too good at it so quickly. But you have yeah. that like brief, beautiful window right when a thing comes out, which means that if I want a game like that in my life, I just need to be trying every new one instead of like settling into one, which is, I think, what like the uh, 30 uh, plus years added to my age version of me really wants is to like sit in the big chair and play a first person <laughs> shooter. <laughs> Hell yeah. But I think with Tekken, like, I don't know if like, over, I, I think at least for us, it went in popularity, but I do think there was this barrier of entry because a lot of people who were playing it were like all in on Tekken. Yeah. It's like trying to get into Melee now also. Like Melee exactly. is still just like the dominant Smash game, I, I think. Actually, it might be Ultimate at this point, but for a long, 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 long time until Ultimate, it was Melee. And, and it's impossible to break into that scene. Yeah. I don't know if I have like enough information or enough knowledge to, to speak confidently to like why 3D fighters didn't stick around in a way that 2D fighters have. Mm. And when I say 2D, I mean like Street Fighter 6 has 3D models, but you're fighting on a 2D plane. Right. That's kind of become the norm. I wonder if just 3D fighting games, I don't want to say they're harder to make because there's a lot of nuance in both, but I just think the possibilities are so much more. Yeah. And sometimes in a negative way for new players where it's like you pick up Street Fighter 6. One, that game has like, I think, been tailor made for new players in a lot of ways, which is amazing. And I think largely a factor of why that game was so successful. Mm -hmm. But even still, like a lot of Street Fighter games, you look at the command list of like, what are these characters special moves? And like, it fits in a single screen. If you look at that on Tekken, it's like, it's hieroglyphics. Like it's just like endless sheets of like, (laughs) if you're in the air, if you're like facing away, if you like, and that's really exciting to the people that have like put in the time and effort for that character, because what that means is the skill ceiling is super high and like the possibilities are endless, but that's really daunting to a new player. And I wonder if like maybe the interest in 3D fighters after the initial like Soul Caliburs and such, like once 3D was no longer a novelty, the only thing left is ambition. <laughs> it's like, unless you have that ambition for Tekken, you're not just going to get the new Tekken. Yeah, right. All that to say, like, I, I think when I saw Street Fighter 6, Mortal Kombat 1 and Tekken A all announced around the same time, that to me was really exciting because I feel like this new renaissance of fighting games has largely been fronted by a lot of anime fighters. Like I feel like mm-hmm. Ark has done a lot to rejuvenate interest in fighting games with stuff like Dragon Ball Fighter Z and Guilty Gear Strive. Like yeah. Guilty Gear Strive becoming a mainstream event, I think gives you all the data you need in like the current interest level in fighting games. Yeah. That's what made Street Fighter Six so exciting because it's like, what is Golden Age Capcom make? for Street Fighter now? Right. And the answer is like maybe one of the best fighting games ever. So Mortal Kombat 1 I enjoyed, didn't really click with me as much. I've never been as into Mortal Kombat, but you know, a successful game in its own right. And I was kind of like, okay, it's been over a decade since I've played Tekken. I'm like fully back into fighting games. I, I played every fighting game on the Dreamcast. Now is the time for Tekken 8. I yeah. have the ambition if the right. novelty is gone. And... It's amazing. I don't know if it's because I've been away from Tekken for so long, but this game feels incredible. Mm. Like it's one of the best feeling fighting games I've played. And every match, whether I win or lose, I yell like out loud in joy and like stand out of my seat. I've just said like, I find myself becoming like an audience member for my own match (laughs) in a way that I think works really well because Tekken is like, 
technically this you know martial arts tournament right it's the first time it kind of feels like that because like the character you know I still don't really fully understand the lore of Tekken. There's a lot of different corporations and a lot of angry dads, which, you know, cool. But like, there's usually like, oh, this character is joining the tournament for this reason. Like, I usually play as King and he is this wrestler who runs an orphanage. So his story is literally always like, I need to save more orphans. Mm -hmm. So I got to join this tournament. Um, which rules, but like if you do like, there's a lot of different single player modes, which I'll get into, but if you do the like character episode arcade mission, essentially it is in this big arena and like the announcer, like tells the audience, like who the character is and what they're fighting for. And that's a really great way to make it actually feel like this big event. But even in just like the standard arcade mode or playing matches online or playing like the sort of tutorial arcade quests, that's kind of like the um, single player mode in Street Fighter 6 where you make your own character. Like all of that makes you so excited to be there in a way that I wasn't I was ready to like admire Tekken, but not love it, you know, because it's been so long. And I'm like, it's been so long since I've I've played this game. I feel so ill-equipped for it. But like it really has gotten me kind of like Street Fighter six. There's a lot this game is doing to make you excited to learn it. And it makes you feel like a god when you're able to pull off the simplest combos. So I'm just top level. Like I I'm blown away by it. I think it's amazing. Yeah. I love, I love that they're leaning into the the tournament of it all in that way. Yeah. I mean, it's like one of the reasons that I brought up how much I love the aesthetic of the finals uh, yeah, right. for leaning into that same stuff, which we then learned after we recorded that episode, did we bring this up at all? That all those voice lines were AI generated, which was yeah. a huge bummer instead of hiring voice actors. Don't do that. But I do, I do, appreciate that aesthetic even though i don't like that part of it and i think one of the dreamcast fighters that i felt the closest attachment to was capcom versus snk was it millennium tournament which was similarly like here's a bunch of billionaires just finding the best (laughs) fighter in the world to represent them in this tournament uh which like rocked like that that aesthetic that that being all the story i got was all i needed to I think differentiate that game from a lot of the other fighters I played on the Dreamcast, uh, which I think was great. It was like that one in the high school fighter one where like, oh, yeah, Project Justice, Project yeah. Justice, like have their have like a real thing going on. And I I, appreci- I didn't really know that that was a side of Tekken, but uh, that is cool. I'm glad that they're doing that. That rocks. That's a small piece of it. because That's just like the I guess to go into detail, like the single player modes that exist. There's like standard arcade where you can do like a series of fights as a character. Yeah. Uh, then there are these character missions where like you'll be the character in the tournament and in the semifinals, they'll have like a unique exchange with another character. And then each character has like a set final boss essentially that they'll face up against. And then you get like a little cutscene as an ending. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot that one of the reasons I love Tekken growing up was how weird the endings are. Because like, like, I, again, I don't fully know the lore of Tekken. So they are, are all by nature of that non sequiturs. Yeah. Because you're given like a <laughs> two to three minute scene. That's not even a, a conclusion to the character story, but just another beat of it. Mm. So like, for example, like King's ending, uh, he faces off against. So King fights. He's like a wrestler. Uh, and that's his fighting style. And I, I really like playing as him because a lot of what Tekken is about is launching your opponent in the air mm-hmm. and then doing like air combos. Like juggling them. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of King's, mo- it feels perfect for a wrestler 
Because a lot of his moves are like countering the opponent by like grabbing them, you know, mid move out of what they're doing or like launching them in the air and then, you know, jumping and doing a, like a stylish finisher. It's it's a king is king is my game of the year. Honestly, the king's <laughs> ending is like his rival is Steve, the boxer. And like once you beat him, you like go into, you know the back room and, and he's like oh he had to rub it in and king just shows him like the belt and they have a rematch you know and that's that's it like you just that's actually one of the ones that makes more sense but some of them are just like you know a panda bear encourages you to like ask out the guy you like and stuff like that it's <laughs> so bizarre that's awesome um, so there's that mode but then there's also like similar like i said to street fighter 6 uh you can make like an avatar that you walk around as like if you're in like an arcade lobby or whatever online i will say that the player avatars look a little bit like meta e, which I don't love. Mm. Like I don't love the look of them. Yeah. But regardless, like you can customize your avatar and there's a whole arcade story mode where you are as your avatar going to these arcades and meeting these characters and those characters are teaching you how to play Tekken. And each arcade location is like about a different aspect of the game. It's a very like simple thing, yeah. but I think it's the first time Tekken has really gone, at least that I've experienced Tekken has gone out of its way to like actually talk through the mechanics and also create this atmosphere that's similar to street fighter six, where the game is like, this is about having fun and about the joy of learning how to play. Yes. Um, and what story does exist in that arcade mode is like, there are three characters you meet initially, like actually there's four. One character is like your coach named max who gives you all the missions and then the other three you meet right away. One character just likes pulling off fancy moves. It doesn't care if he wins or loses. Mm. Uh, one character just likes dressing up their character in funny outfits. And the other character, all he cares about is his online rank. And I think it's cool to see Tekken recognize that there are people coming at it from different angles and giving players like a mode of play to engage in all those different sides of it. Yeah. I feel like it, it, it's just such good timing for them to make that the focus of the game. Also, yeah. I, I think in this world in which like all three of these franchises have like a gigantic release happening around the same time. I feel like although, you know, Mortal Kombat one, I think did pretty well. People seem to like it enough, like Mortal Kombat fans seem to like it. The two that actually focus on like welcoming and embracing new players in a big way are Street Fighter six and Tekken via it sounds like teaching you the mechanics and again like bring up the joy of teaching you those mechanics whereas Mortal Kombat 1's approach if I recall correctly I didn't play that game but if I recall correctly their whole thing was we're just wiping the lore clean and we're gonna start new lore which is like I don't who are I'm sure <laughs> okay I'm sure there are people going to Mortal Kombat for the lore but also you might be turning them off by getting rid of the lore they're invested in and I don't know how many people were like waiting for the reboot of Mortal Kombat to get into Mortal Kombat in the same way they were looking for an actual accessible way or approachable way of getting into something like Street Fighter or Tekken, which is exciting. Yeah, I, I think Mortal Kombat's in a, a unique place, too, because like while there is a competitive scene, I think Mortal Kombat has always marketed just like the spectacle of it yeah. above all else. Like you're playing it for like the camp and the fatalities and such. Right. And from what I know, the last one, I think Mortal Kombat 11 did have a fairly intricate tutorial system where there were three different types of tutorials based on like what level of play you're interested in. Oh, that's cool. So I think they have done that in the past, but yeah, I think the focus was lore for sure. <laughs> and I yeah. think it's, it's more maybe like, it feels like that game is more interested in setting up its own 
like new kind of MCU than like uh, anything else really. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of off-putting. And and the, th- the thing that really worked for me with Street Fighter was weirdly exactly what it sounds like they put in Tekken, which is like you go through the story mode of that game and you just come face to face with all of the different like top tier Street Fighter characters that you've heard about your whole life if you haven't played Street Fighter. But if you have like, you know, your favorite people ever in the world uh, who are fictional and <laughs> they teach you how to fight like them and your avatar gets to use their their move so you get to learn what it's like to fight as them but also against them which is exactly the thing that you will be doing if you get really serious about it and you hop online and you're like i just want to fight a chun li over and over and over again so i can understand all of the permutations of how a chun li can come at me as ken for example and it's i'm glad to hear that tekken is doing that because as you mentioned like that is just such a difficult game to get into even by comparison yeah it's wild yeah i mean i think it's also like well it's also known for being being inscrutable in some ways and like having this very high skill ceiling something about the 3d nature of it there is an aspect of tekken that is also a little bit more intuitive in some ways Mm. whereas i feel like in street fighter for example like there's less to know but you do need to know it like you can't just sort of dive in without looking at the command list and like seeing like oh how do i shoot a fireball or how do i like become electricity right whereas in tekken it's like okay this is kick this is punch. If you like move around and kind of follow the momentum of it, like you'll probably pull off really cool moves without even trying. It's by no means a button masher, but I do think you can get away with like thinking you know how to play a character for longer mm. than maybe you can in Street Fighter. And I think that was the appeal of Soul Calibur also initially, right? right? Yes. Like Soul Calibur 2, I think, was such a big deal for so many people who weren't playing fighting games, including me, because you could very intuitively be like, I have fought Nightmare before and I know how this attack goes. And if I move to the left i can maybe avoid it like yeah. that's just not a thing you can do in street fighter without really really having a very deep understanding of a lot of the things that can happen in street fighter exactly i also feel like soul caliber has the benefit of like every character is tied to a weapon so they so loudly announce yeah. how they're going to play whereas like in tekken it's not most characters are based off a of martial art of some kind mm-hmm. and then some are just like a bear or a robot and that's out the window right. but like i don't think you will immediately know how a character plays until you play as them mm. you know so i think there is you know that readability is soul Calibur's strong point but yeah i think like i imagine in a few weeks i will continue to get destroyed online but i felt <laughs> way more equipped to play this game than i was expecting and i just i think they've made it so fun to play and the spectacle of it is so grand that like i don't even really really get mad at losses because i'm impressed by what's happening like yeah. it always feels like you are watching a martial arts tournament you know even yeah. though you're the one playing and possibly and probably losing um <laughs> but i will say like i do think just just for the record i do think street fighter 6 has more like i think tekken 8 like definitely is doing a lot of the stuff that street fighter 6 is doing in terms of giving like an onboard to new players i think street fighter 6 though is like really like giving you multiple modes for that whereas there's Mm -hmm. just sort of the arcade mode in tekken but still i think it goes a long way like it has worked at least for me i never even really knew about like launches and air combos and stuff like i didn't think that was like the core element of tekken until i was told by that character Mm, that's interesting Uh, yeah so if you are interested in Tekken this is a really good Tekken to get into but if you're interested in fighting games maybe Street Fighter is the one yeah I also think it depends on like which game speaks to you the most like I think one of the things the game says is like when you choose a character they're like if you don't know where to start just choose 
who you like the look of the most. That's nice. Yeah. A lot of people in the fighting game community always say like ignore tier lists. Like you're going to have, you're going to do better and have more fun playing as a character that you just like yeah. versus like how good they are, or how viable they are. Like if you want to play as the Panda Bear, you're probably going to have way more fun playing as them and do better as them than playing as like the top tier character. How do you feel about the fact that King is wearing a mask and, and it's not an actual jaguar head. Yeah, in a in a game where there are robots and like walking bears. Yeah, I I still don't know, and I don't know if anyone knows like what the deal is with his jaguar mask because mm. like he does growl, and it's not like a man. That is true. Impersonating a growl, unless he has like a it's like a machine mask of some kind. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I I think wrestling is about buying the illusion, so I believe true. that it's a real jaguar head even though it's probably not yeah i'll say i mean i i used to play as king in tech and tag tournament on the playstation 2 and i fully thought that that was just his head and it took me years and years and years to learn that it wasn't uh and that was disappointing but i do like that there is still a little bit of an illusion there i, I like i like that it's actually not clear that makes me that makes me feel better I'll, i'm gonna sleep a lot better tonight he also his like default costume is cool because he has this like big cape but yeah i think this game's awesome i'm really curious i'm burying the lead really so I'm really curious what this means for the future of Soul Calibur because <laughs> Soul Calibur 6 came out in 2018. Mm-hmm. And from what I know, that was sort of like Namco being like, okay, if this doesn't sell well, it's the end of the series. Like I, mm. I've, I don't have a direct quote about that, but I remember reading like that was sort of like the Hail Mary. Like if that game didn't do well, that would be it. And it did sell well. Like I think Soul Calibur, even though 3D fighters haven't like caught on the way the Dreamcast hoped or the Dreamcast years hoped, I should say. Yeah, that it has stuck around. I think like ever since two, it feels like every Soul Calibur after that has like been received more negatively until six. Like I, I liked six. I think six was received pretty well overall and sold well. And it got like two season passes of DLC. So I think it did save itself, but I'm still wondering like how much Namco is going to prioritize it. Because I do think there's maybe a place if Tekken is the hardcore fighting game, there's a place for that. Now that there's like a renewed interest in fighting games in general, there is a place for the more beginner friendly series as well yeah i think like cynical business brain mode uh <laughs> act- activated i do i do think it's like the smart move to do tech and first definitely you know oh, it, yeah because yeah. like all of these people all of these people who work at these companies are talking to one another they all definitely knew that like mortal kombat 1 and street fighter 6 were like all in development at the same time and all were like oh it's gonna be wild to release at the same time but i do think if you're namco and you're like choosing to invest in one of your fighting game properties i think tekken's the one to pit against those other two definitely i do think there is an interesting space between i i feel like you could you could map a spectrum out where like mortal Kombat is as you were saying like the spectacle first like just you know rip roaring weird time you have when you invite your friend over after high school or something and soul caliber is like a step up from that I think in some ways, at least it was for me. Uh, no, I agree. Yeah. It's like, you can get really technical with, you can obviously get technical with Mortal Kombat, but I feel like Soul Calibur kind of invites that technicality a little bit more, but still isn't at the level of the other ones. And I do feel like it does fit a really specific kind of person, which I am one of. <laughs> it also feels like, I mean, it's worth noting too, like the other 
3D fighting games that have stuck around that sell really well that are also made by Namco are all like the anime, like Naruto mm-hmm. and Dragon Ball. I think one of the reasons Dragon Ball Fighter Z was like did so well is because there was already an audience for that. Yeah. But then it was also this like, you know, arc developed like masterpiece, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think there's always a place for those like kind of IP games and like they're great in their own right. And I'm kind of looking forward to the new like Budokai Tenkaichi esque Dragon Ball. I keep forgetting the subtitle of it. Yeah. But that new Dragon Ball game that's not arc, but is like just the a fun, like goofy time. Like there's still an appetite for that. It just seems like it's only IP that gets it. Yeah. You know, I mean, Soul Calibur is also IP, but I, I do think like, I, I'm hoping that it gets another, you know, chance. But as it stands, like this new Tekken, I think is like immediately one of the best fighting games I've ever played. And I'm so happy to have it back in my life. I, mm. I'm having the best time. What's your, like, what's your, what's your strategy going to be though? <laughs> Because like you have this and you have Street Fighter and I know you're still playing. Oh, my God. What is it? What's the other one? Guilty Gear. Guilty Gear. Yeah, I haven't played Guilty Gear quite as much. I definitely want to go back to it because they keep adding new characters and and I enjoy that game quite a bit. I really think I mean, it usually depends on where my friends are and like who's Mm. playing it, you know, so I think like Tekken 8 is the new game and people are really excited about it. It's like so fresh to me because I haven't played Tekken in such a long time. Also, it's worth noting too, Tekken 7 came out in 2015. So it's been almost a decade since a new Tekken came out. It's a little bit weird because like that game got a lot of, uh, well, it was 2015 in the arcades. And then I believe 2017 was when it hit home consoles, Mm. but even still, it's been a long time. So I feel like, and that game got a lot of DLC characters. I'm pretty sure Noctis is in Tekken seven. I think you're right. Yeah. Regardless, it's been a minute. So I think there is this like, oh my God, Tekken's here feeling in the air. Mm. Um, I would wager currently that like Street Fighter six will be the one that I probably go back to the most because I just think that has probably like I would guess that's the game that will stick around in the fighting game channel the longest. And that's Mm -hmm. also like where I have the most friends playing. I still like I posted in our discord with our friends like who wants to play Tekken with me and everyone said no. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But I think there's still that 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 hesitance of like I don't want to learn calculus. I don't want to like learn a competitive 3D fighter. Yeah, Uh, I think it's still kind of a clashing of words, but I'm amazed at how quickly onboarded I became. Not to say that I'm like good, but I'm having fun. And that's the most important part. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I think I think I'll play both is my plan, but probably I'll I'll end up wherever wherever my friends are, basically. Yeah, that's very nice. That's very, very sweet, actually. I think, <laughs> I think that's, that's very good. Uh, a, a quick side note. Uh, that game is called Dragon Ball Sparking Zero. Uh, yeah, man. No confirmed release date. Oh, really? Yeah. It, fe- it feels like it's got to come out this year, though. I would bet it comes out this year. Uh, I, the only reason that I doubled back and want to bring that up is that uh, w- we are preparing for our GameCube episode in July. And I did go and play through the entire story mode of Dragon Ball Z Budokai, the first one. Oh, nice. Which I haven't yeah. played, I think, probably since it came out on the PS2. Man, that game rocks still. Uh, and I, yeah. it, it really actually, I was thinking about Sparking Zero a lot. Like, man, I can't wait to get my hands on a new version of this because that game does feel old man uh yeah. but but i really liked uh tenkaichi 2 on the wii I, I also used to play with my friends like we would do like team battle all random because yeah. like the the key difference in the competitive nature of a game like budokai tenkaichi versus dragon ball fighter z is that arc wants you to be able to play as krillin and have that be viable yes like 
arc was not caring about like what is the actual power level in the manga or anime like yeah play as videl play as any of the humans they will stand toe-to-toe with b-risk god of destruction in budokai tenkaichi they do care about the canonical power <laughs> levels so that means that in a game based on flight some characters can't fly like yachirobi <laughs> and when you try to do a key blast he throws rocks and i just love the idea that they committed to like these characters should not be playable but yet here they are here they are we modeled them we gave them moves you can try your best yeah <laughs> you can try your best i do remember i think i killed frieza with yajirobi once and i felt so proud of myself i was about to say i feel like the the only reason to really include them is to flex right is like oh yeah krillin's only final destination no items krillin is the samwise of dragon ball he deserves more love i think i agree uh, when he shows up he knows he's gonna lose and he does it anyway you he know? does it anyway yeah exactly you should uh you should watch the right re- we started watching i think it was after we recorded Godi. is that possible we started watching the most recent dragon ball super movie yeah it was it was actually after we recorded the episode after but it was when oh, i yeah. was home and we had a big pot of chili and we yeah and and the two of us i think were just like completely brain dead from doing Godi, <laughs> and then this other episode <laughs> yeah. and we were just like let's just put something mindless on and put on dragon ball super superhero which is a movie focused mainly on piccolo and gohan's relationship but krillin shows up i think he's a cop at this point oh god uh, I'll take back what i said but he's like it's it's i just love that like he's the most powerful cop on the planet technically <laughs> Because he's the only human who like has figured out how to shoot a laser beam, you know? Right. Well, that's that's the thing. It's like to other humans, Krillin and Tien are gods. They're gods. But yeah. Exactly. To to you know Namekians and and uh, Saiyans, yeah, they're nothing. And Beerus and Whis. Yeah, I love Beerus. Anyway, that's all I have on Tekken 8 currently. I would love to play this with you. I don't want to pressure you to get it. I think you would at least admire it and enjoy it. I don't mm. know if you would like choose to get into it, but I think you would have fun playing it. Yeah. That's where I'm at. I'll mull it over. I'm going to, I'll text you like today or tomorrow <laughs> and let you know where I land. You're going to send me like, I'm fifth Dan with Kuma and it's 2 a.m. <laughs> uh, who did you play as back in the day? Well, I played as King usually. So I think we're just going to do King doubles. It sounds like two, mirror two matches. Kings, one crown. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Two Kings, one crown. Actually, thanks for reminding me. So there is, you can fight your own player ghost. So the game like takes note of how you play Mm. and you can fight like a very hard version of yourself to train. That's fascinating. Um, Which I think is actually really interesting. It reminds me a bit of the, uh, I forgot which Smash did this. It might have been Smash 4, maybe Ultimate as well. But if you scanned an Amiibo, you like made a hard, like top yes. level CPU opponent. It reminds me of that a little I bit. I think that was 4, right? Because Ultimate has the the thing where you can like bring your me back and forth with like a bunch of stickers attached to it. I forget what the deal is with that one. Spirits. Uh, yeah. Some, oh yeah, Spirits, you're right. Uh, they just announced 13 Sentinel Spirits are getting added to the game and Hades. What? Like now, <laughs> like they're adding them now. 2024 they're updating smash ultimate to add our favorite video games to smash (laughs) i will say on on air i remember it was i think it was during the game awards our good friend will who composes our theme song they were like i heard a rumor that like smash might get an announcement and new spirits or something and you and i were like why on earth would they announce new spirits like a year plus after the last dlc character and sort of a mic drop from sakurai yeah and here we are here we are. 13 Sandals and Hades Spirits. Speaking of Sakurai, you know how he has that YouTube channel where I yeah. think it's, uh, Sakurai makes games or something like that? And he like just. Yeah, I watched a few. They're really awesome. They're ama- yeah. It's an amazing YouTube channel if you haven't checked it out. But it's like him just breaking down his entire career 
uh, over the course of like hours and hours and hours of interviews and video footage. Uh, it's really remarkable. He said that he's stopping it soon. Oh, really? To work on a new game. And everyone is Honestly? like, Switch 2 is coming soon. He's stopping this. Like, is he really going to come back for another one? I I kind of hope he doesn't for, for like his own health. I want more games from him, but not Smash is kind of where I'm at. Because I feel like, yes. like playing Kid Icarus right. was such a cool experience. And I feel like he has such great ideas. Like, Not to say that like I wouldn't want to see if he has an idea for Smash. I would want to see it, but like, yeah, Smash Ultimate. I I feel like the most I want from Smash again is like Smash Ultimate Deluxe on the new hardware, where it's essentially what Mario Kart Eight did. Where here's yes. the game with all the DLC, maybe a few additions and tweaks, and there, yeah, done. and Thirteen Sentinel Spirits. And yeah, make yeah. sure the Thirteen Sentinel Spirits are in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, a little bit of a prelude to our Twilight Princess bonus. Uh, so forgive me for repeating myself a little bit, but I, I am hopeful that when they when it comes time to make a new smash, they're like, let's hand it to somebody new and like really start from the ground up and like get to the core of what this is uh, and pare it down a little bit. Because I, I think that's the only thing you can do after something like Ultimate is like kind of rethink it. The nightmare scenario is it becomes a Fortnite thing where it's <laughs> like a live service survival crafting game survival crafting game yeah uh which i don't think will happen but the i, I really think the only the influence of minecraft steve really like spreads too far <laughs> I, yeah once you have minecraft steve and sephiroth in the roster the only place to go is back i feel like you know, <laughs> i agree uh, honestly having like a a rethinking of the original smash that had those eight characters yeah we have a show on our Patreon called Any Percent where we do every week where we have 10 minutes or less to address a listener submitted topic or question. One of which was like smash roster is too big. Cut it down to like the original. I think it was 12, right? 12. Yeah. yeah. And we did. And, and we were thinking it's like those 12 characters in the first smash were representative of what the, you know, the poster series for Nintendo were at that time. Yeah. And that has changed. Since, changed dramatically. Yeah. You know, the late 90s or whenever that came out. Right. So I wonder if there is a way to do that. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah. I don't think Ness would make the cut, unfortunately, these days. We actually owe, I feel like, Fire Emblem and the Mother series owe a not small percentage of their overall fandom in the U.S. directly to Sakurai, like shouting out those games in the roster. I agree. Yeah. I don't think like especially Fire Emblem, like the first one that came out in the West. I can't remember if it was before or after Marth and Ike were in Smash, but like that combination made it like, oh, people are interested in this in the U.S. Yes. And that's why we got, you know, everything after. And uh, maybe we'll get that with Earthbound one day. <laughs> Mother four official. The the new smash is just all thirteen sandals. So that's it. Say less. There you go. <laughs> I'm in. Super Smash Brothers Aegis Rim is a game I would play. I'm a, I'm a fluffy man. Um, it's my, my favorite character. <laughs> oh my god! All right, let's stop. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs> Hello, we're here with another tiding from the Aether. Uh, reminder, those of you out there, if you go to shop.intothecastleonline, you can buy a personal message which we will read on the show. Uh, this one is another belated birthday message. Sorry again, we were a little late on the uptick when it came to actually adding personal messages to the show. Uh, we will be much better about timing in the future. But this is a message from Craig 
to their friend Nate. Wishing a happy birthday to my best friend Nate. He's a huge fan of the show and introduced me to y'all. Hope he's having the best day out in Boston trying some rum and playing some game. Game, singular. I, mean, I bet that was games, but maybe it was one <laughs> game. And I want to know what that one game was. Anyway, love you, buddy. Uh, I have two thoughts immediately before we get back to the episode. First of all, happy birthday. Yes, happy birthday. Oh, sorry, three thoughts. Yes. Yeah. Thought zero is happy birthday. <laughs> We've been talking about Yakuza too much. <laughs> First thought, if you're having some rum, here's my recommendation. Two parts rum, four parts pineapple juice, one part orange juice, one part cream of coconut, then some nutmeg. You got yourself a painkiller. It's the best rum drink, I think, in existence. Second thought, I know know this is, I don't want to dunk on a typo in this, but I am curious, if it were your birthday and you were only playing one game, what would that one game be? (laughs) Well, am I by myself or with friends? Great Hopefully question. the latter. I think you have rum. So I'll be, I'm with friends. Hmm. I, I Honestly, probably Mario Kart. I feel like that's the perfect yeah. party game with friends. Yeah. That's like a funny answer, but like, you know, I'm not going to say rascal on my birthday drinking rum. I like Mario Kart. I do like that you went the avenue of like, we'll all have fun instead of Super Smash Brothers where you will kick everybody's ass. <laughs> well, look, when it it's was my birthday and I'm the king, literally my... because I'm King Dedede and also because I win. I did do that. Are you citing the tournament I held at my apartment in 2018 when I beat all my friends? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was mirrored by my 2003. Every so often I have an evil birthday. And in 2003, I invited all my friends over for my 13th birthday. We got hibachi, which was a lot of fun. And we went back to my dad's house and I ordered spinach and anchovy pizza <laughs> and made them watch all five Planet of the Apes films. Oh my God. <laughs> I I haven't talked to one of them since. (laughs) So funny. So, Nate, I hope you're having a a more uh, uh, hopeful celebration is the word that came to mind. And I would would also use the word inclusive. I hope you're having a more inclusive birthday party. Than that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thank you to Craig. Thank you to Nate. Oh, quick. I guess my answer would... The feeling I have right now is is my answer would be the game we're talking about in the next section. So we should get there. Nice segue. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Nice segue, Ichiban. Bye bye. <laughs> Would you believe it? There's another Like a Dragon game that's been released. Hot off the heels of last year's Like a Dragon, Gaiden, yeah. the man who erased his name, which is a very long title. Uh, we now have the next actual mainline entry in the Yakuza franchise, now called Like a Dragon, which is called Like a Dragon infinite wealth no number even they just it's the eighth one but it's just infinite wealth what's brilliant about it visually is the infinity sign is just an eight turned sideways it's great beautiful yeah it's a good fighting game logo even this is not a fighting game (laughs) yeah yeah with kind of like what street fighter 6 is going for with the verses yes being you know the roman numerals of six it's great this this is a game i've been like cautiously looking forward to i would say because We've talked a lot about this franchise on the show. I think it is like alongside the Trails series, like maybe one of the most daunting series to get into because it's like just one continuous story over like actually hundreds of hours of video games. And there are heated debates over which one to begin with, although most people would say zero, but even that is arguable. Most people say zero. I ended up not doing that and playing Kiwami, which was the remake of one and like had a great time with that. Um, 
but I I've shouted this out in the past. I'll shout it out again. I think it was Jacob Geller's yeah. game of the year video from last year. He said something to the effect of like, I really want to play like a dragon infinite wealth when it comes out. So I just jumped into like a dragon. Sorry. Yakuza like a dragon, which is the seventh one. And like kind of just didn't play the other ones. Um, I think he said he played that one and Ishin, which was another spinoff that got localized last year, um, which I think is like specifically a, a great validating point for him in this case, because Ishin is like an amalgam of pretty much every Yakuza game that had come before it and like is pulling from so much stuff despite technically being its own story set in a different time period and stuff like that game is so referential to so many things but he was like I just played it and it was fine like it was good I had a great time playing it I didn't feel like I needed that like daunting weight of having played all of the other games behind me of course that would make it better like everyone knows intuitively that would make it better but I think the point that he made that that really resonated with me at least as somebody who has tried on and off to like just say I'm gonna play through all these games in order is maybe you don't need to like maybe play the one you're most excited about and that can be your entry point it's like choosing a fighting game character like just choose the one yes. that speaks to you the most exactly and i i think in that case in particular like kiwami is the one i finished and i thought it was amazing zero i've started and stopped many 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 times over the years and i've never really like felt the full compulsion to see all the way through i probably will because everyone says the end is great but like it it never really drew me all the way through it the way kiwami ended up doing eventually and like a dragon similarly i i also didn't finish i just found at a certain point i was like i'm kind of burning out on this a little bit that having been said there was something about this game that was really speaking to me like i just was really excited about this one and kind of like with monster hunter was the thing we've talked about with monster hunter like it's just really exciting to feel like you're part of a community like that when a game like this comes out and i picked this game up on launch day have played so 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 much of it i think my clock my playtime clock says 14 hours already oh nice wow. which is wild uh i just hit chapter five for those of you who've played a bunch of this game already steven is much earlier we'll talk about where you're at in a second but i, I just want to say from the outset like we're not going to talk really story spoilers probably outside of stuff that's been like shown in trailers and even a lot of the stuff that's been shown in trailers i haven't even seen so i don't even really have context for that stuff but i can speak to what i've experienced at least in terms of like mechanics that exist in this game which i don't really consider to be a spoiler uh because that coverage is everywhere but i will say this so far is probably my favorite one of these that i've played i just think like from a story perspective it's great they fixed pretty much every issue i have with the combat um it's worth mentioning for those of you who don't know the yakuza franchise historically has real-time combat uh and they have since said uh with the release of like a dragon the seventh one the mainline franchise will now have turn-based combat and the real-time combat will be relegated to spin-offs like gaiden and also the judgment series but this is just turn-based combat now and i liked that in the last game you know, as as a person who has become a fan of turn based combat. Um, but there were a lot of things, I think, holding it back. And I think the encounter rate in that game specifically alongside those issues really made battles start to feel a little bit more tiresome than like exhilarating. This game just adds like a couple little quality of life improvements to what was already like pretty good combat that actually makes it great in this one. I totally agree. So it's worth noting Like a Dragon or Yakuza 7, if you want to call it that, was the first one that I played and also the only one I finished. Yeah. So like... And is the longest one also. Is it? Until now. Yeah. It's also worth noting too that Yakuza Like a Dragon was the beginning of the new protagonist Ichiban Kasuga. Yeah. Uh, So 
pretty much every other mainline Yakuza game is starring Kiryu, mm-hmm. who is still in the series. I think he's the star of of uh, the man who sold his name. You know, which goes into what he was up to during Like a Dragon, I believe. Yes. Regardless, like Yakuza Like a Dragon seemed like similar to Yakuza Zero, a second attempt to make a new onboarding experience. So like a lot of Like a Dragon is new, like it's a new setting. It's a new lead. It's a new supporting cast. About halfway through the game without spoiling, it starts to become more connected to the previous game. So like there's a lot of like oh shit, it's this person moments. And if you don't know them, basically no matter what Yakuza game you start with or what like a dragon game you start with, you're going to not know who someone is when they have one of those moments. There's just no way to get, unless you play like Yakuza 1 on PS2, there's no way to get like, oh, I know who that is exactly with your first game. Yeah, yeah. The moments you're describing, they're always the the thing that pops into my head is always like the the guest appearance by an actor who wasn't billed in that SNL episode, and everyone goes wild. That happens so much, and this is kind of my thing with Yakuza Zero when we, we had that whole uh, we had that whole discussion about like, do you start with that one or or uh, Kawami? Like, there are a lot of moments in Zero where it's like people are introduced, and like longtime fans are probably losing their minds, but it just like there's an applause break. That doesn't work if you haven't played any of them. And that actually is your on-ramp, which is uh, this weird, just like Ouroboros snake eating its own tail thing, I think, with this franchise. But the magic is that once you've played one, you will get that yeah. magical applause break and you will be clapping. Yes. Like, so I think for me, it's like, I really liked Like a Dragon. It's definitely a flawed game. Uh, it's way too long. And the pacing <laughs> yeah. of the latter half gets like, I've mentioned this before and I'll say it again. It's, it's a, it's a cardinal sin at this point. There's a point near the end of the game where you discover a battle tower and it's like, oh, like here are optional battles you can do to like level up and get cool equipment. Anyone on earth playing this game for the first time will think, oh, cool. That's like an optional side quest that I can do if I want to get the best gear. Yeah, it's mandatory because the next area, every enemy is 20 levels ahead of you. <laughs> so you have to just do that whole battle tower to like be on par with the game expects of you. And like the combat is fun. It's worth noting too, like the Yakuza series or like a dragon that's been renamed. The combat has always been kind of like 3D, you know, street brawling. But what's interesting about the combat in these games is like it's often at least like the the sort of random encounter battles, for lack of a better phrase, like they are often there to kind of be like purposely arcadey and sort of over the top to add levity. Yeah. Like you would think that that's the part of the game that has the most drama, but it's usually like the most kind of overtly video gamey part of it yeah and so making that into turn-based combat actually wasn't that huge of a pivot but i do think like like a dragon feels like a proof of concept both like can we make a new protagonist that that audiences love as much as kiryu and can we make this combat feel fresh again by rethinking its structure yeah i think overall the answer was yes especially with ichiban i think he's an incredible lead and he carries that whole game yeah he's unbelievable i agree the combat like eventually started to feel a little bit repetitive and and there were some things where like your characters kind of like in Chrono Trigger would just move around like while you fought but you had no control over where they're going so one of the biggest noticeable improvements immediately in like a dragon infinite wealth is that in combat there's like a glowing blue circle around every character when 
it's their turn and you can move them around before they take their action. So there's way more control over like when you do things like grab a nearby bicycle and swing it at all the enemies, which is like the X slash of Yakuza or like a dragon, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's like a signature attack in all the games. It was really strange in uh, in like a dragon specifically that they like introduce that idea. They say, hey, if you're next to a bicycle or a traffic cone or whatever, you will be able to pick it up and like hit somebody with it, hit the enemy with it. But because you had no control over it you had no control over your characters and party placement in the space like it just meant that that never happened and if it did it was a fluke and like sometimes it's not the right decision which is i think one of the bigger things that this game gets right by allowing you to move around space is like sometimes you want to pick up the big barrel and hit somebody over the head with it so you will position yourself to do so but sometimes even if that's an option using you know the the weapon that you've crafted that has a certain element that the enemy is weak to is actually the better move there and in the last game they remove that layer of strategy despite having it be piece of the combat you can't actually utilize it strategically it's always an accident there's a lot of changes like that and i i think for me, you know, going into this game, being excited for it, it just felt like, OK, this is so clearly the next one that I can play most easily because yeah. I think like you, I have decision paralysis when I look at Game Pass and like they're all there. You know, I could play yeah. any of them anytime, but like I've only finished like a dragon. So playing the game that followed this and continued Ichiban's story made the most sense. Right. Um, so I'm still very early on, but I'm I'm just like, it's amazing how much nostalgia I have, even just for that one game. I can't yeah. imagine having like a series worth of that emotional attachment, which I think speaks to why this fandom is so passionate mm-hmm. for these games. Yeah, yeah. This, this game, I think, starts really, really strong. There is a big caveat that I think is worth probably bringing up which is like it's just hours and hours of cutscenes, and i think for a lot of people that's gonna sound negative but they're really good cutscenes. they're it's like a legitimately really great story being told and and i think the the weird balance here is like they're setting up so much story again this is the longest one they've ever made in a franchise that like already has pretty long video games in it uh but in the process of like going through all of these scenes every once in a while, like a cutscene will end and then they'll be like, okay, walk down the block. And then you walk down the block and that's another cutscene. It's like, did, did I need to have control for a second to walk down the block? That's very Ordon village of them. Yes. But the answer yeah. is like the only reason they did that is so you could take that opportunity to save. So you could like save your progress <laughs> in the cutscene you're watching. That's very Xenosaga of them. <laughs> I just think that that's going to turn a lot of people off. Probably our, our friend of the show, Chris Plant, wrote an article for Polygon that was something to the effect of like, unfortunately, it comes with the the game gets great after eight hours caveat. And he makes a point that's like, it gets great after eight hours, but it was really good for those first eight hours. And I think that's that's the distinction here. But I also think if you're getting into Like a Dragon as a series, those are all the games. Like, I yes. think in the same way, like Uncharted and Last of Us successfully marry, like being cinematic and being film like with being a game. I think this series does that with just like TV drama in yeah. a sense. Yeah. I think in any other game, this amount of cutscenes would be a caveat, but I, I don't think it is here because I think that's sort of what you're signing up for. Yes. Because I don't know, like, to me, this series there's not one thing that I want from it. I think it's the, it's the combination and specifically the, the like altering between watching these like really melodramatic, really heartfelt or comedic cutscenes 
then going to like a life sim, then going to like a fighting game, then going to one of the bizarre side quests. Like, I think it's that like, it's sort of like Persona where you're always looking forward, at least for me, I find when I play Persona games, I'm always looking forward to doing the other thing when yeah. I'm like in the weeds of a dungeon or, or, you know, doing all the life sim stuff. To me, I think that's what makes those cutscenes work is because like they're paired with so many other types of the game. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think I think that yeah. is I think that is one of the strengths of of the franchise. I do think this game is very story heavy for a long yeah. period of time. Like the whole first chapter will take like maybe two or three hours, and that whole thing is like you're not really making a decision. It's like a lot of cutscenes, and then they teach you combat briefly. That's great, and it's all really good. Again, like all that stuff rocks. Uh, but once you get into like chapter two and three specifically, and they start to like kind of loosen the reins a little bit and they start to introduce like all of the mini games and all of the side quests and all the other stuff you can do. And like you have a more full party and there's more stuff going on and you have more options, I think is when the game becomes what people talk about when they say they love these games. You know what I mean? And that's actually what's weird is like that. I think that's what makes the battle tower and seven stand out so much is like, these are games that are bending over backwards to give you literally 100 options of what to do next at any moment. And to funnel you into one thing like that is is really counter to like why people sign up for these games. Because if you haven't played one of them before, like famously, there's like batting cages, which is just like a really great arcade game. You can go into like actual Sega arcades and play old Sega arcade games. There are like entire uh, mini games and as you mentioned, like life sims and uh, idle games and like just so many options and so many mini tiny things you can go do at any moment that are completely unrelated to the plot and the story. And yet all those unrelated side quests and things do, I think, endear the player to the character and also like yes. make sense for the character. Like I right. think they give you a like, kind of a broader understanding of who Ichiban or Kiryu are by seeing them sing karaoke or go to the batting cages. Yes, yes. And then that's uh, it's also where the side stories come in, right? Yeah. Which is like you just have all of these subplots that are happening. So there's always like the big melodramatic main plot that is like chugging forward throughout the entire game. But as you continue to make your way through it, they have all of these side quests that are like, as you mentioned, either really, really heartfelt and sometimes like completely bizarre and like yeah. just totally counter to what you think the tone of this game is and can be. Uh, and I think I think it's in those moments where like you really see the heart of these characters. I brought this up on the show before, but the one that really sticks out to me is this one side quest that I think was in Kiwami where you're playing as Kiryu in that game. And uh, there's like a lady who is selling matchbooks to like essentially just put food on the table for her family. And she needs to like leave for a second, I think, to like go to the bathroom or something. And, and you just happen to be walking by at that moment. She asks you to sell the matchbooks for her. Uh, and it's this moment where she leaves and you are standing there like keeping guard over the matchbooks and everyone who looks at you when you ask if they want to buy a matchbook just like runs away in terror because Kiryu always has this like very stoic kind of scowl on his face. And when she comes back and sees this, they have this like really kind of like long and heartfelt conversation about the the kind of person you are on the outside versus the kind of person you think yourself to be on the inside uh and kiryu does like a lot of soul searching in that moment and these side stories always end with like in parentheses in dialogue it'll just be like what that character was thinking about at the end of that moment and i just think like that little bit of kiryu being like 
I accidentally like maybe prevented this woman from being able to put food on the table because I'm always scowling and him internalizing that and like carrying that forward with him into literally seven to eight other video games and then some is like amazing it's amazing to commit to characters like that for so long it's amazing for the writing team and the staff at rgg which is a studio that makes these games to be like so invested in exploring every single facet of every possibility of these characters because that's what makes them whole that's what makes them human yeah and i think i think that's that's why this franchise like really connects with people at the end of the day i think is like you just know so much about these people internal and and external absolutely i think it's also interesting to compare kiryu to ichiban and that like they very purposely feel like foils to each other and the game makes that clear even with just the color of their suits being like the opposite of the other right whereas akiryu is a character who if you look at the cover of the yakuza games when they were called yakuza like i think you have an idea in your head of what it's going to be if you have no idea what the series is you're like oh he looks kind of like he is in the same like angry boys club as kratos and like (laughs) all these other kind of like mid-aughts uh angry heroes but has this like very strong sense of empathy and the bulk of what you do in that game is help people and listen to them and that's what makes him such a compelling character and and an interesting (laughs) interrogation of masculinity i saw this thing on the on the uh subreddit uh where somebody did the math and figured out how long you are actually in the yakuza in the whole franchise (laughs) and it's like 20 minutes it's it is i think they said like point two percent of the entire runtime of the whole franchise you are actually in the yakuza which is so funny that's hilarious because i i mean we've talked about this on the show before in in other episodes about this franchise but like that was everybody's assumption when these games started coming out except for the people who actually played them and learned that that's not the case but like for me for so long i was like it's just another grand theft auto and i'm not really into that so i'm not really going to play that Uh, Until enough people were, I think, just like yelling loudly enough that this is like some of the best character work ever done in a video game that I finally checked it out. Right. And whereas Ichiban is the opposite of Kiryu and that like he and the games he's in are leading with what is under the surface in the Kiryu games. Yes. Like the absurdity, the comedy, the warmth, like all of that is on the surface with Ichiban and the melodrama and like the righteous anger only comes out in very key moments. Yes. But I think it's it's so cool that both leads have both aspects to them. It's just delivered in a different ratio. Yes, exactly. I also think there's something about Ichiban. Like I've seen I've seen a lot of people write about this, and I, I do think it's important where like very rarely is there like a middle-aged character in a game. It's weird. It's weird to be like men need more representation, but like I feel like rarely are there middle aged male characters who are not just on some quest for vengeance or like angry at the world. Like it's usually a Joel type character, right? which like totally has its place. But I think there's something really powerful about Ichiban being this very positive and and this like older character who is still finding joy from life, Mm -hmm. especially after being wronged and like set up in a way where like he should have this vendetta or have this quest for revenge and be like calcified by the world, but isn't. Yeah, they do like comment on his age and i think you know not that he's like old he's you know in his early 40s but like in the previous game like a dragon you know he's in prison for most of his life yeah and then comes out and is now like older and in this world that doesn't recognize him and nobody remembers him nobody cares about him and is still this like optimistic person 
And in this game, like the way it begins, like everyone loves him. And there's like essentially a musical montage of just like what a day walking down the street as Ichiban looks like. And I don't know. I just it's interesting because I feel like he embodies a lot of like typical like shonen anime protagonist traits. Mm. But just the decision of making that a 42 year old man yeah. makes him like really interesting. In this case, I think he's 45. I think it's been three years. Older, yeah. yeah. Since, yeah. since uh, which is it's great yeah he's the hero of yokohama and uh yeah that musical number rocks it's so good it, i swooned it was amazing yeah uh, his uh his his role at the beginning of the game uh is he's working at hello work which if you've played the last game you, you know what that is but uh hello work is just like a place you can go to like try and find a job if you don't have one and somebody will try and place you based on what your resume is and his specific thing that he's trying to do there is like trying to rehabilitate ex yakuza you know people who yeah. have left the different families uh, come to him to try and find work when they want to like go straight, essentially, um, which is exceedingly difficult. I mean, a lot of that first game is about like the ways in which society kind of ignores the people who are down and out. And and he really carries that through in this game, I, I think. And, and it speaks to in its opening hours, at least it really speaks to this idea of like anyone can be rehabilitated. You know, his capacity for understanding and his capacity for like forgiveness, I think, is so deep. And I love that that's the role they put him in at the beginning of this game, where it's just like he is the life raft for these people who probably feel like overwhelming guilt and in some of their waning years in a lot of cases like want to make good with the time that they have left he is trying to extend a hand of grace to those people it's amazing it's an amazing yeah. way to open this game it's it's just i think it's why i was saying i think it's one of the strongest openings these games have had despite as we were saying like it being mostly cutscenes. the story is incredible and and the themes that it's exploring are incredible i mean just that first moment where they teach you combat because there's a guy who is like totally misinterpreted how ichiban's whole thing works where he thinks he needs to bribe ichiban and he's like absolutely not and the guy takes offense to that and then tries to fight him and ichiban kicks his ass because of course he does uh, and the wind <laughs> blows all of the guy's money into like just the river of trash that's in this city in Yokohama. And as soon as he's done kicking this guy's ass, he dives into the river to retrieve the guy's money for him, absolutely ruining his suit and just like covered in actual waste to give him his money back. And the guy's like, why would you do this for me? And he's like, cause it's your money. And I think, I think if you wanted to, you could turn things around. Like, I think we've just not been communicating well about what's going on here. And that is that that scene and the way it plays out is like such a perfect encapsulation of Ichiban. And I feel yeah. like it's such a perfect encapsulation of like a lot of the heart of what this entire franchise is going for. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I was laughing because I feel like it's a setup now where like if Ichiban is in a clean suit, it will last for 20 minutes. Yeah. Like, yeah, anytime he puts on a new outfit, it gets ruined immediately because he spends most of like a dragon in a suit he got shot in yeah and it's like with the bullet hole yeah with, with the bullet hole in it and he's just like well back to work it was like and i imagine this is a feeling that longtime fans get in every game but it just felt like visiting old friends like yeah. seeing him and the supporting cast all together again like yeah. going to their uh the survive bar their hangout which is sort of like your base of operations in the previous game I, I forgot how much attachment I had to this place and, and to these. Cause I, I remembered Ichiban, but I, I, you know, I didn't have as, as a clear memory of the rest of the game and it all came flooding back. Mm -hmm. It was really cool. Yeah. So I, as mentioned, I haven't finished that game, but I really wanted to play this and like have the context for it. I, I'll be honest. 
and this might enrage people, but this is what I did and it's working for me. I just watched YouTube recaps of what happened in seven and in the man who erased his name. Cause I was like, I just, I just want to know. So when those moments start to happen in this game, I'll have like a better understanding of what's going on. And like, they really are picking up right where those games left off. Uh, so that was definitely worth doing. And it, has helped me enjoy this game immensely. Uh, not that you can't just jump into it if you want to, because there are there are sequences in which they will start to refer to things that happened in previous games, and you'll be like, oh, am I missing a bunch of context here? They actually do. It's it's weird the way they time it out, but they actually do end up digging further into a lot of stuff later on, and will ask you a couple times here and there, like, do you want to even hear this, yes or no? Like, do you have a full understanding of what happened in the last game? You could probably skip this cutscene if you want to, which is great. You know, again, just like the game bending over backwards to be all things to all people and like making that work. That's such a difficult thing to pull off. But I think they do in this case. Now, you're a bit farther ahead of me. It's been in all the marketing that you eventually get to Hawaii. Yes. So I wouldn't mind hearing a bit more about how that has been going for you. Yeah, I won't I, I won't tell you the whys in terms of like why he's in Hawaii, um, but uh, Hawaii as a location is great. And I think this is, this is again, one of those franchises where like, I was really sure that they weren't just going to be like Hawaii, the perfect tropical paradise. Everything sure. is great here always. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause like historically, and if you've seen the news in recent years, it's not. And, and there are a lot of things going on there. I think that like are pretty rough and this franchise has a great history of like, I would say a tenuous history, maybe because it's definitely stumbled here and there. But you can tell that that the team making these games kind of have their hearts in the right place in terms of the ways in which they're discussing a lot of this stuff. You know, like the last game, again, you know, placing you in the shoes of somebody who is homeless in a camp of other people without houses uh, trying to make it work in Yokohama. They they extend, again, a lot of grace to that cast and they they really explore all the nuances of like the societal wise we have gotten to this point as a city and as a nation and as a world like as a as a global community of people and because the games have again 100 hour runtimes like they they do dig really into the nuances of that stuff and i was i was actually talking to my partner about this but i just feel like because games take so long to make and everything that you put in a video game has to be the work of many, many people when you're making a game on this scale, I would imagine it's hard to make a game about the Yakuza and not get really introspective about the whys of that stuff. And I, I have to imagine as soon as you kind of open that door a little bit, once you like crack it open at all, it kind of opens the floodgates for interrogating the rest of, you know, the kind of darker parts of society and how we've gotten there and, and how we can maybe pave a better future. So Knowing that context from having played Kiwami and a big chunk of zero and a big chunk of seven, um, when they announced that this game was going to be set in Hawaii, I was like, they're going to they're going to do it right. Uh, and they have. I mean, they comment on the the homelessness epidemic there in a pretty severe and like pretty, pretty serious way. They talk about like the crime of it all. They talk about like, you know, Hawaii as a tourist destination and like the the goods and bads of that. It's It's really nuanced and it's really great. Alongside all of that, also, like it's a next generation, like a dragon game. It looks beautiful. It looks absolutely incredible. Um, the city is gigantic. There's so much stuff to do. I, I think like 
to even list all of the like side quests and all of the mini games and things that you can do would be like uh, we could be talking for the next five hours i think this will be a game that comes up again yes like even without going into spoilers there's just so many mini games and mechanics like honestly one of my favorite games is just the business sim from like a dragon yeah like uh, in and of itself had, had its own story it could have existed its, as its own game on steam it yeah. would have done great like, yes it was amazing and I, th- I honestly i think that they heard that from a lot of people and really really leaned into that with this one and that's i think that's the reason i'm like i'm on chapter five at the beginning of chapter five and i'm 14 hours in or whatever it is uh is because like one one of the things they introduce, I think it's in chapter three, is uh they reintroduce Sujimon, which is a, a concept that they introduced in Like a Dragon, which is uh this this professor who shows up who is like clearly supposed to be like a really like horrible alternate reality Professor Oak, <laughs> who is like Yokohama's filled with creepy dudes. And uh, I want to catalog all of them. And he literally gives you an app on your phone that's called the Suji Dex. And as you continue to fight all these different weird dudes, you log them in your Suji Dex and you can you know, present them to him as if you are, quote unquote, like capturing Pokemon or like logging them in your Pokedex. And this game really one ups that by turning that system into actually Pokemon like you. Oh, my God. You get like. <laughs> you get a capture mechanic so you can like capture them quote unquote and train them. And there are like trainer battles around Honolulu city where you can like find somebody who's like, let's battle Sujimon. And you do that. Um, there are like, because again, these are like creepy dudes who you're like saying, Hey, you know, join me on my team. Um, there are like underground fight clubs where you go and like do what are essentially like gym battles. Um, I think they call the, 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 the top dogs, the discreet four, like they're not being <laughs> subtle about it at all. Yeah, um, of course. But although I had heard about that a lot and been like, oh, okay, cool. So they're adding, like they're really doubling down on Sujimon. They're doing the Pokemon thing. Like, of course, you know, like a dragon would, would try and like graft Pokemon into this. Also, I assumed that it would be like a fun thing for people who want to engage with it. Steven, it's so good. It's like, it's such a unique and novel take on Pokemon that I, I kind of can't <laughs> believe it. So what, what they do, uh, for, for those of you who don't know and haven't played Like a Dragon, one of the things about Ichiban that's worth mentioning, and the reason the game is turn-based in the first place, is he played a lot of Dragon Quest when he was a kid. And they name-check Dragon Quest. They, they call that out. Played a lot of Dragon Quest when he was a kid. His goal in life is to, quote-unquote, be a hero. And because of all of this, he sees all of the fist fighting he's doing in the streets as if it was turn-based combat. So you're seeing the game from his point of view. And it's interesting when you get through, like, if you're in a kind of big moment, you'll do the turn-based combat. And when it goes back to a cutscene right after that, you can sometimes see the fight just playing out in real time, which like really kind of draws a hard line between like Ichiban's imagination and what's actually happening. Um, But in the moments where you are like getting into random encounter battles on the street, you'll just see like a bunch of random dudes walking down the street who will want to fight you. But as soon as combat starts, they shape shift into like kind of just like strange versions of guys. You know, there's like, there's like (laughs) one guy who's like wearing a speedo and he's like covered in so much sunscreen. It's like dripping off of him. And he has, Uh he has like a pool noodle that he uses to hit you. Um, In this game, there's a, a guy who shows up a lot, who's stuck in his sleeping bag so it's like you only see his face and he's like just supposed to be Caterpie. 
Um, <laughs> things like that. So you collect all of them they, and they all have types and there are type matchups and all that kind of stuff. But, but the oh way God. it works when you want to collect them is very similar. And I think this is great considering everything I just talked about. It's just like Dragon Quest V where you, as you're getting into random encounter battles, every once in a while when you're done with combat one of the guys that you just beat the shit out of will just be still standing there. And you can, if you want, talk to him and be like, hey, do you want to join my team? And the way you do that is by presenting him a gift. There's this little mini game where there's a bar that shows up that's filling really, really quickly from left to right. Uh, and, and you need to hit the A button or the X button, depending on what console you're playing on, as close to the top of the bar as possible, which is Ichiban professing, not his love per se, but like his admiration for this person saying like i really wish you would join my team uh and then you have to smash the x button as much as you possibly can and it's just ichiban peppering them with compliments and <laughs> and if you can get them to like come around after just having their ass kicked by you they will join your team which is that's amazing it's an amazing way of doing it that reminds me a lot of the uh the business like management sim that i mentioned like a lot of that is you just buy certain businesses and then it shows you like how well they're doing over time yeah. and then every like so often you have to appease the shareholders right so it's it's Ichiban and his business partner and a bunch of people asking like why should I invest my money and then you have to like apologize to them enough yeah that, like, they get hit like by an attack yes like their health goes down it's so funny and it feels like actually effective satire as well of, like yeah this is not possibly unlike how these meetings go, go in real life you know yes, exactly more heightened yes yeah so in this case like you you collect these teams and i was expecting combat to just be exactly like pokemon for the most part because again like every, everyone in this game has some kind of type associated with them all, all the all the characters you're fighting against including all of these sujimon so when you collect the sujimon they have their type but they also have attacks tied to that type and the way combat works when you're doing a Sujimon battle is you have to have a team of three. So it's only triple battles and you have to be very specific, kind of like the actual turn-based combat that you're doing. Usually you have to be specific about where you're placing each of the three dudes. Um, so there's a left position, a middle position, a right position, and the different attacks will have different kind of uh, d different lanes that they can hit. So like one of the guys they start you with at the beginning of the game is this martial arts guy who's roundhouse kick will hit all three of the opposing enemies but sometimes an attack will only hit the person directly in front of them or it'll hit the person directly in front of them and the one directly next to them so you need to be really intentional about that stuff and it's amazing that i'm even saying that about this which is like <laughs> essentially like an underground fight club where you're like collecting dudes by by talking about how great they are uh after kicking their asses they also alongside having trainer battles that are just like out in the world. They also have raids that pop up every once in a while, which uh, are all set to different types. So if you're like, I really want like a grass type, you can go to a spot where grass type raids happen and it'll tell you how long it'll take for another raid to show up. And that means that there's going to be a group of grass type dudes that'll show up at that exact spot. And if you can beat them, they will be usually a couple levels above where you are. And you, this is regular combat, by the way. So this is like you as Ichiban and your party beating up these other dudes if you can beat them then one of them will be left over for you to recruit and you'll definitely be able to recruit them so it's a way of building up your party if you need to like if you're missing some types here or there so i have a question because i know i noticed that when you like 
turn on the game in the opening menu one of the options is just mini games so it seems like you can you can go right to some mini games from mm. the the main menu it doesn't sound like though that that would be this because it's so integrated within the yeah. actual game yeah this this is um, such a big thing like it, it yeah. is th- this is i think one of the the appeals of the franchise to me as time goes on is like they just continue to flex more and more and more and yeah. this, like we were just saying about the about the business thing, like this is a fully featured, could be its own <laughs> video game, video game within a 100 hour story. There's also an Animal Crossing-esque one, isn't there? Yes, this is the other thing, which I haven't gotten to. I thought I was going to be able to get to it. Uh, and that's, it's wild that I haven't gotten to it 14 hours in, by the way. I'm on chapter five. I've heard it. I think it happens in chapter six or seven, somewhere in that vicinity. But there's an island that you can go to, apparently. I wish I could speak. I'll, I'll bring it to the show when I get there. But there's an island you can go to that is just Animal Crossing. Uh, you Specifically New Horizons, where like... They give you an island. It's filled with a bunch of like trash and rubbish that you need to kind of like clear away. You get a bug net. You can capture, you know, bugs. You can sell them to a guy to get parts to make your house look better. Like it is just Animal Crossing built into this game. And that's also unbelievable. I, I also have found that a lot of like the side stuff that you can do that like I, I think I would consider to be more mini games are even more in depth than I was expecting, you know, coming from things like karaoke and the batting cages and like kind of all the old standbys. There's like a Pokemon Snap game in here also. There's a trolley. <laughs> That goes around uh, Honolulu City. And if you get onto the trolley, there's a guy that you can talk to uh, who is like a big photography guy. And he gives you a camera and he he asks you to ride the trolley and take pictures specifically of like buff guys who are hiding around the city. And it's like amazing. It's so funny. There's another mini game that they introduced. That's a side story where there's a woman who's testing out a, a, a dating app. She used to be uh, a person who was pretending to be a fortune teller. Uh, and just like scamming people. But she realized that the thing that worked the best was telling people if they were going to fall in love or not and decided to develop a dating app instead. Uh, and you're testing it out for her. And it is like Tender Creature Comforts, a game we've talked about on this show a lot, uh, just built into this game that involves like building out your profile, choosing every single response that you have to the person that you match with, which is an amazing, it's an amazing little mini game that I won't describe because it's a little bit too in depth, but it's great. Uh, and then you need to like go on the date and see how it goes. And all of this stuff is just contained in this larger <laughs> in story. Uh, once you get to Hawaii, I, th- I think like it, it takes, as I mentioned, like two to three hours, maybe even four hours before you get to Hawaii in the first place. And when you get there, there's obviously a lot of story that has to happen before they kind of take the reins off a little bit. But once that happens, I mean, the game just feels like it could be endless if you wanted it to be. Is there also go-kart? Because there was like a Mario Kart-esque game in the last game. I wonder if that came back. Not that I've found yet. Um, so you're in you're in Yokohama for a couple hours at the beginning of the game. I have a sneaking suspicion you'll probably end up back there at some point and also probably in Kamurocho because one of the things we haven't mentioned is this this franchise I think one of the reasons you and I attached to it initially outside of just how great Kiryu was as a character and, and Ichiban is this idea that instead of going wider and trying to make the biggest open world they possibly could they made the most dense open world they possibly could focusing specifically on a video game version of a real life piece of Shinjuku in Tokyo called uh, Kabukicho um, that they called Kamurocho and they just like modeled it kind of perfectly and every single game that came out that allowed for more like horsepower and you know higher resolution graphics and stuff they just like turned that power into more buildings you could go into and do stuff in so i think people like i me at this point 
I've played enough of this franchise that I, I have the map of Kamurocho in my head. And I brought this up on the show, but when I went to Kabukicho in real life, I knew how to get around because the landmarks that are in that game are so true to life in a lot of ways that when we, we were actually staying there in one of our last nights, like I knew where the hotel was already and I knew exactly which streets to take there, uh, even though they're not named the exact same thing. Like I knew exactly how to get there because the layout is the same. And that's wild. And I would assume that they will not just throw away all of that work in this game and just have Yokohama and Honolulu City. This also might be a spoiler to ask, but given that it's on the cover of the game, we see like Ichiban and Kiryu's profiles. Are we playing as both of them? Is this a dual protagonist game or is he just a major part of it? Do you want to know? Kind of. Yeah, I, th- I don't think this is really a spoiler because this is in most of the marketing, which yeah. you, you and I talked about this a couple days ago. You didn't watch any I of the I missed marketing. all of it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't watch it. Pr- honestly, a really fun <laughs> way to go into it. I'm glad you did that. Um, I imagine most people know this, but uh, yeah, Kiryu joins the party when you get to Hawaii. He is he is because of the events of the man who races name is like on a quest in Hawaii. There's a thing he's trying to do there and uh, you run into each other and it becomes mutually beneficial to help each other out with your respective things that you're trying to do. Okay, so he joins the party because I was wondering if like we were going to alternate between playing as them and one of them was in Kamurocho and the other was in Hawaii kind of thing. I could, like, I mean, almost like a GTA five. They could do that later in the game. You know, that's true. Again, yeah. this game contains <laughs> multitudes. It's possible that that happens later, but right now where I'm at, he is a party member. That's really cool. I, Cause they have, they play off each other so well. Like they, they cross paths for the first time at the, without spoiling, like towards the end of like a dragon. Yeah. Kiryu shows up and even me playing this Yakuza game first, not knowing Kiryu at all was starstruck. I was like, oh, he's important. Yes. (laughs) And again, there's they're the opposite but equal of each other. They've got great chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and he he is like, you know, I I think Ichiban has a has a smattering of this at the beginning of the game when he's the hero of Yokohama. Um, But like Kiryu is a legend. He is the dragon of Dojima, like everyone in Kabukicho and honestly just like anyone who has any affiliation with the Yakuza at all knows who he is um, and he's purported to be dead uh, so him showing up in that game is like a huge deal and uh, his his role in this game is amazing I don't want to say too much about it and not having the full context of his story I'm doing a little bit of extrapolating from what I know about him but I do think his role in this game as a party member is really significant in my eyes at least as a guy who is like historically going it alone like he's a lone wolf he's playing it solo the whole time him having like a crew quote unquote to like perform justice with I think shows a pretty significant change in his character from those first couple games and again I don't I don't know what happens in between there but you can feel that he is both the same Kiryu you've always known, but he's gone through a lot of stuff that has made him more open to like collaboration with others. Yeah, maybe he's learning a bit from Ichiban in that sense, because Ichiban yeah. begins his quest like needing a team. Yes. Right away. And it's also going into the Dragon Quest parallels. He's like, I need a mage. I need like a knight. You know, I need all yeah. these people to fill these roles. I think it was actually like you alternated who you played as. But I think Yakuza 4, there was like an ensemble but it felt mm-hmm. like maybe they were all like their own separate story. I haven't played it, but yeah. that's the closest maybe he came to, to having a team. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else to bring. I mean, there's so much stuff to talk about. I like even just little things like at, at a certain point, they give you a segue. And when you get <laughs> when you get the segue in the game, uh, it allows you to mark a point on the map and 
automatically just roll your segue down the street to that point on the map which is like such a saving grace considering how huge the city is um and how much time you just spend running back and forth between waypoints in these games like you could spend the money on a taxi hypothetically to get between these points but having the segue is great there is also like the cost benefit analysis of uh the segue needs to be charged and it costs money to recharge your segue so you need to like decide how much of it you're going to be using which i think is like a nice give and take there but also because again this game is bending over backwards to appeal to anybody who has any thought about what they might want in this game you can color customize your segue with a bunch of different colors and like spray paints and weird patterns you can buy wheels to like trick it out you can make the Segway your own if you want to which is so funny my only gripe about the Segway, which actually gets into another thing i wanted to bring up that i think is incredible when you get to hawaii there is a dedicated aloha button on your controller oh hell yeah it is square <laughs> if you press okay. the square button ichiban says aloha he does a little wave sometimes he does the you know the little shaka thing and they gamify the aloha button by giving you an app that allows you to befriend the people of the city by saying aloha to them the way it's pitched to you is that there is an app that will voice recognize when you say aloha and who you are saying it to and it connects you in like a weird like facebook myspace kind of thing um <laughs> and as you continue to play the game and see the same people around the city because like i said about Camarocho, like you start to get a mental map of what's going on there and you know who is where and you know what is where and you can continue to walk by them and say aloha to them with the dedicated aloha button uh, and your friendship meter with those people increases and the more people you become friends with in honolulu the more rewards you get of course which is amazing my one gripe with the Segway, you can't press the Aloha button on the Segway. It uh, kills me. I try it every time I'm rolling by somebody <laughs> because when when somebody can be aloha there's like a little meter that pops up above their head and it still pops up when you're on the Segway, which makes me think I can press the button and I can't and it bums me out because how great would it be to see Ichiban rip by on a Segway? <laughs> Just like, oh. <laughs> That's maybe the best way to sum up his character is yes. that visual. Yes. There's also like a whole, I mean, this is another other like a dragon games but like there are stats for ichiban's like kindness courage style like yeah. essentially like dating sim stats and without spoiling because i don't i don't want to spoil the event but early on in the game in chapter one there's a date that ichiban has to go on yeah and to prepare for the date his two closest friends adachi and nanba are like giving him pointers and it's truly like if you want to have like an out-of-body cringe experience it's this whole scene but what's so funny is like adachi and nanba are giving you pointers and it starts off like pretty okay like they're yeah. both like giving their perspective and essentially adachi is all about like you want to show up like confident passionate like make her know you're taking this seriously yes and nanba's like just be yourself yes both are good points and you, basically every stage of the date being planned you have to choose like which of those two friends you side with, but their advice gets worse and worse <laughs> as the plan progresses <laughs> to the point where it's like, you basically pick your poison. Like, what do I go with? But yeah. making that choice levels up that stat. And then you have to see how it plays out based on what you've chosen. <laughs> it's just like, Oh my God. Like yeah. what if it's like, uh, do you want to like go to, um, like a fast food place you always go to or go to this place with really spicy curry yeah. to show her like you're like brave enough to eat this really spicy thing. Right. Uh, stuff like that. Or like yeah. dressing up as a vampire. <laughs> like it's wild. It's, it's so, so funny. funny. Yeah. And yeah. There are a few pieces of media in my whole life that I have yelled at out loud. 
and I I actually yelled no Ichiban no out loud at my television while the date was playing out and I won't say anything more than that. You and I just played Tokimeki Memorial, which is a game about yes. telling a teenage boy what not to do in front of other people. <laughs> and this was worse. Yes. This date made us both like text each other as if we were playing like a Silent Hill game. Like yeah. what did I just watch? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I was I was thinking while that scene was happening and also while I was doing the mismatch stuff, which is the dating app, I was like, man, this there's Tokimeki Memorial in this, too, uh, which is. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of relationships, uh, you also have relationship meters with all of your party members, which was yeah. in the last game. Um, it was. Yeah, they do something with it in this game that I am like all about. They do a couple things I think are really smart. Number one is um one of the party members you get early on when you're in Hawaii is from Hawaii, like lives in Hawaii. And uh, as you walk around the city, he will every once in a while, like chime in and you can have a conversation with him about like the place that you're at. And he'll tell you a little bit about like what it means to him and like what it's all about. They had this in the last game in a sense that like sometimes as you're walking around, it would be like party chat and you could press triangle. And as you're walking yeah, there around, was like, banter, there yeah. was like a little bit of banter that would happen. Yeah. Um, this is, this is like tied to specific things and locations oh, and cool. will trigger certain, certain conversations and certain cutscenes. And when that cutscene is over, they reveal something you're going to love which is uh, it's called the bond bingo card. <laughs> and it's for every character. There's a bingo card that'll be like, I don't know anything about what they do for work. I don't know what their dreams are. What's their favorite food, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just like any question you might think to ask somebody is a card on the bingo card. And if you can get bingo on the relationship bingo card, you will unlock things that you could like collaborate with with that character you also can just unlock other stuff like items but um also in some cases it'll unlock like essentially like chrono trigger dual moves that you can do oh my god with each other it's a ama it's amazing it's an amazing thing and it, it's incentivizes exploring the space you're in it incentivizes exploring the space you're in in really specific ways because you know like okay the next the thing i need to get bingo on the bingo card is food i need to find out what their favorite food is let me see all the spaces in which i could trigger a cutscene with this guy this one's in a restaurant i guess i'll go here and see if that's it and like maybe you'll be rewarded maybe you won't but like even just having that as an option is so fun and so weird and such a great way of gamifying a thing that was already extremely gamified and making it even more rewarding and even more fun and just even better on all fronts i love it I love the Bond bingo card. It's like one of the best editions. You're going to love it. This is one of the first times we've been recording and I've been like angry that we're recording instead of me playing this game. Like yes. I'm just like, I want to immediately go and catch up with you because this sounds amazing. I mean, yeah. I'm already loving it. Like I was fully back in during the, the musical montage. That was yeah. enough for me. It, it's funny that we both like didn't even mention how like grim the actual cold opening of the game is because <laughs> it so quickly pivots. I mean, you know, it yeah. opens in sort of like a film noir kind of way of yeah. like this like unknown tragedy but then pivots to like Ichiban's musical Wonderland right and then the, the date from hell yes um, it's amazing I can't wait to get further into it yeah uh when when we first got on this Skype call my mic was muted so you didn't hear my great joke but my great joke was let's get this over with so we can get back to Ichiban <laughs> <laughs> and on that I think we should maybe sign off yeah maybe, maybe now's the time yeah, where we began. Unless you have anything else you want to say before we wrap up. I, 
let me let me just tag on one thing. This is for people. Sure, please. This is for I, I think for anybody, but like if you're new, this is maybe the move. But just in general, it's worth mentioning that like a dragon, I think I might be wrong about this, but I think is one of the first, if not the first entry in the franchise to launch with English voice acting, like complete English voice acting across the board. A lot of the other games, if not all of the other games are just, you know, Japanese voice dialogue, Japanese voice cast subtitles. This game in particular also has English voice acting. There are two things about it. Number one, I think because of the prevalence of the cutscenes in the early hours of the game, if you are a person who speaks English, it may behoove you to put the English voice cast on for a little bit just to, for that stuff. So you can essentially watch it like television if you want to. Um, not that the Japanese voice cast is any worse, but I did that for a little bit and found it to be a really kind of breezy way to get through those opening hours. And then as soon as Kiryu showed up, I changed it back to Japanese. <laughs> um, the other reason that you might want to use the English voice cast, which I didn't realize until I went on IMDb, because I was like, that voice sounds really familiar. So much stunt casting on the English voice cast. There's like a lot of real celebrities in this game. Oh, nice. One of them, I don't want to say who it is, but the first major, major boss you fight in Hawaii is like it's it's one of the things that they have done previously in the franchise with Japanese act like big Japanese actors where like you know there are voice actors playing all these different parts but every once in a while they will like fully scan in a real actor from Japan to play this part like the lead in judgment right yes um, yes yes um but but they they tend to do it in the other game like in the actual like like a dragon games with big yakuza bosses like really like mm. the big bombastic ones that they're like this is a guy you're really going to want to take out they will make it like a very famous person who's not just providing <laughs> a voice but is also providing their face and That's they awesome. they do that with somebody as the first major villain in hawaii at the end of this huge 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 combat sequence that is exhilarating and worth having the English voice cast on just for that, because he is not providing the voice in the Japanese version. Uh, I see. Which is a weird thing to even call out and a weird thing for them to have done. But it is worth highlighting um, that the English voice cast is hit or miss, but is largely better, I think, in this game than it was in the first one. I played I played the last game, like mostly with the Japanese voice cast. I, I had the English one on just a little bit to see what it sounded like. But in this game in particular, it might be worth considering. This is not a thing you have to do. It's just it's just a little asterisk for you, dear listener, in case you're interested. I will also say I'll save everyone five minutes if you run into this like I did. I purposely made sure it was in uh, Japanese voice acting. The game begins in English no matter what. Yes. If you thought like, oh, wait, did that not work? And then yeah. you like shut the game down and, and do it again. Like no matter what you choose, they are speaking English for like the first opening scene. Yes. Um, yes. Just in case that throws you off like it did for me. Yeah. I, th I think that's where I want to leave it. Just that li that little nugget for people who are maybe starting the game uh, cool. after this recording uh, or after this episode launches. Uh, but expect to hear a lot more about this game because it is one yeah. that I don't want to put down. I, I am playing it. Are you playing on the PS5 or Xbox? I am PS5. Yeah, I'm also playing on PS5. I'm also playing it. I've been playing a lot of it, interestingly enough, on the Odin using remote play. Oh, cool. Which is also really, really great and and has me excited for it to hit Game Pass eventually. Uh, so you could use xCloud with it because that's also great. Um, yeah, I played uh, I played like a dragon on the Series S and that was my first like next gen game. Yeah, which is kind of funny because it was clearly made for the previous console because like we mentioned the loading times were so quick. It would yes. give you this like 
paragraph of lore about a character that you couldn't read because right. it's like you're back but yeah i'm playing on ps5 just because i i wanted like hdr and all of that enabled so yeah yeah and it looks amazing but yeah it's, it looks it's, great it's great on ps5 uh talking to again friend of the show chris plant it apparently runs really well on steam deck as well if you're somebody who oh, cool. wants to play it on steam deck i do think that these games are great handheld and it is a little bit disappointing to me that the studio heads at rgg have specifically called out not wanting to put them on the switch because they're like <laughs> it's a family console we're not going to do it and i'm like dark souls is on there man like grand theft auto is on there now please yeah. put yakuza on the next switch thank you because then i think it becomes clear that they are in some ways primarily a visual novel once you like have it in your hands you know <laughs> yeah uh it becomes less tv and more visual novel but yeah. regardless it's a great before bed game is all i'll say if you if you can get it handheld somehow using the many versions of remote play that exist give it a shot hell yeah and with that we are finally free to go and play more like a dragon infinite wealth yes a very very good video game to start the year with and Tekken 8. Hunk Punk's back, baby. I think for me, at least, I think it's going to be hard to beat this game. And I know that Final Fantasy Rebirth is coming out. Oh, you mean like for Goaty? <laughs> yeah. I, re I really feel this way already. Like, I'm like, as far as the stuff we know goes, like Final Fantasy has a shot. I don't, I don't think Dragon's Indi Dogma. I don't think Indiana Jones has a shot. I'm just really excited about it. Uh, Dragon's Dogma, I could see. Yeah. If, if that really captures the imagination. I have no idea. I mean, even FF7 Rebirth, which I'm so excited for, like, I, I'm kind of like emotionally prepared for anything to happen there. Yes. Like, I think it could get truly wild. I'm kind of excited at that prospect. But yeah, same. I, 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 I kind of feel like going into the first part of the remake, which is maybe a cursed sentence, but uh, <laughs> I obviously went through like all stages of grief and emotional preparation for that to like maybe not be good and then ended up loving it. Yeah. And I kind of feel like regardless of how Rebirth is, I'm expecting it to be good, but like I feel like they already did it. Like I feel like remake is good enough as it is and they've like kind of done the impossible already that like even if the next game is total chaos in a bad way. Yeah. I'm like, well, well, remake was good. Yes. And like it gave me what I wanted. It gave a lot of people what they wanted. I got to see these characters again in a new light. And it, it kind of, I think the best thing about remake is it makes the original like better in a weird way. I think they work well as companion pieces to each other. Yeah. Whereas I, I don't think if rebirth comes out and is terrible, it will make remake worse. Yeah, because remake without spoiling it, like it reaches its own ending. You know, especially yes, when you go I back agree. to the like if you play the original. And you just play the Midgar section, which is which is what remake covered. Like you don't get like the arc the characters get in remake. Like mm -hmm. basically Cloud becomes who he is at the end of remake. And then the original becomes that character at the end of the game. Right. So they've kind of already told a lot of the stories. But I'm right regardless, I'm very excited for more. Yeah. Anyway. OK, let's actually let's stop. actually go because <laughs> I, I haven't eaten dinner yet. And I feel like my consciousness fading a little bit. So, yeah. Let me go eat dinner. Yeah. Let me let me go, please. Infinite food. Uh, <laughs> hey, you can find us at intothecast.online. That's our link for everything. That's our website uh, where you can find all of our links to our social profiles. You can find a link to the Patreon. Thank you to everybody who backs us over at Patreon. Thank um, you. Backing Patreon is how you can get any percent, which is our weekly show that drops on Mondays. Uh, you can find the merch store over there. Thank you to everybody who's bought merch. You can find uh, the link to buy a personal message 
on our website as well. If you would like to do that, if you would like to give somebody else a tiding or give yourself a tiding, I don't know. You can do that there into the cast online. I love the idea of a message from your past self, a yeah. little time capsule. That's fun. That is nice. Read this in a year, Stephen and Brenton. <laughs> yeah. When you, f- when you fill out the form, you can say uh, when you want us to read it. You can put a year from now if you want. Live a little. Live a little. Thank you so much for listening. And yeah, at the end of this week will be our Twilight Princess bonus. It's very excited to finally share that. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. I'm going to go play video games and eat dinner. (laughs) (laughs) That That was funny. Yeah. (laughs) Well, see you later. Bye-bye. Got it.